0: Welcome to episode 6 of Inside CHSL. His name is Brendan Johnson. I'm Jeremy Otto. So glad you could come back with us. So glad you survived the
1: snowpocalypse, the ice storm. It wasn't pretty out there, was it? No, no it was not. And listen, I'm okay with that weather staying away for a while. I don't expect it to. I expect that Michigan winter to come back and revisit us, whether it's the snow, the ice, the cold has certainly not left us, and the remnants of the previous snow apocalypse still stand with some black ice out there, visible snow, the the big piles of snow still as well. Um, but uh, we survived. We're here, and
0: we're good to go. Three or four years ago, it was Hazel Park High School in the state football semifinals. If you've ever been to Hazel Park in the stands, it's like a sled. Going down, and it, it really is like a sled in the snow. And talk about that to our <laughs> great
1: fans. So, what Jeremy is <laughs> referring to is several years back, Waterford or Lady of the Lakes is playing in the Division Eight state semifinal again at Hazel Park High School. And the way to get into their bleachers is it's not steps going up; it's just a ramp. So, it was a cold, snowy, icy day, and those ramps are metal. Right, So it's just straight like ice. And everybody got up. And then as the game's going on and it's continuing to snow and that snow is just freezing because it's like four degrees outside. Everybody's like, well, how are we getting down? How is this going to happen? Slide down. So Jeremy and I are covering the game for the Catholic High School Football or Catholic High School League Football Game of the Week. Um, That's on FM radio, 101.5 The Patriot. Nonetheless... The way that the game was set up is I was calling the game with Jeremy and then had to go back to the studio, leaving early fourth quarter and the third quarter-ish uh, to get back to the studio to do our post-game coverage. So anyway, so Jeremy is, well, we were both up top in the camera well above the main level of the press box. Jeremy standing there calling the game, me standing behind him <laughs> looking over his shoulder just trying to see what's happening. Snow blowing in her face, yeah. Freezing cold, yes. and anyways, walking down, having to maneuver my way through these icy bleachers, and I just am watching people slide down the ramp. <laughs> to when if they were exiting the bleachers throughout, you know, halftime and the third quarter, I'm like, how am I going to do this? This is nuts. And I watched several people slip and fall, and the whole time, I'm just freaking myself out. Like this is not going to be good. I end up sliding down, getting out of their life. But uh, the chances of getting out of there alive looked slim for a few minutes on that icy, snowy, cold high school football state semifinal day. Well, no wonder why your focus was so bad in that game. All right, that's enough.
0: That's (laughs) enough. No, but I'm just remembering this because I'm I'm slipping and falling all over the driveway yesterday, so that just reminded me of that. But let's dive right into J&B's top highlights from the previous week. I got some boys' basketball
1: to kick it off. Well, there was an interesting article that was put up by Scott Bernstein, um, and he talks about the top dozen freshmen, high school basketball players. He's had a chance to go watch these freshmen, of course, all playing on the varsity level. And there were four of the top 12 he's seen were listed from Catholic League schools. Mm-hmm. They included Curtis Williams, the number one ranked freshman. He's from Brother Rice. Sonny Wilson coming in at number three, point guard at U of D. Xavier Thomas coming in at number five, also from Brother Rice. And Brother Rice again has the fourth mention, number eight, Henry Garrity. Now, these kids are all very, very talented. I have seen the Brother Rice freshman play. Both Curtis, or all three, I should say Curtis, Xavier, and Henry and they're very talented players. You know, Curtis and Henry both, or excuse me, Curtis and Xavier both starting. Henry being one that they brought in off the bench in the game that I saw him. But very talented players, good size, shoot the ball well, can create shots in the post. That's going to be a scary, scary group going forward for Coach Palmer and Brother Ice. Yeah,
0: no doubt about it. Just the sheer size. I mean, when you have guys that are... Kind of raw, which I'm not saying they're completely raw, but you know, a freshman's raw. It's just mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, coming from, um, you know, grade school or just AAU onto the high school scene, right into the Catholic High School League Central Division, which is as competitive as it's, it's been in a long time right. when you look at it. I mean, these guys, uh, it's scary to think about come junior and senior, let alone come sophomore year next year when mm-hmm. they're starting to gel and they've really figured out, hey, this is what high school basketball is is about. And I mean, you you look at Curtis Williams, he's leading the team in scoring. That's even with a couple, you know, seniors and juniors who are really good on that squad. So, you know, those three, along with Sonny Wilson over at UD Judge, with the other one that uh, Scott Bernstein listed, I mean, he's leading the team in scoring. 17 points, nearly six assists, four rebounds, nearly two steals. And I've heard rumblings. and I mean, it's too early to tell. And, you know, but people are saying, oh, maybe he's the next Cassius Winston. Will he be as good as Cassius Winston? Who knows? But you know, that type of player, right. as they're seeing, you right. know, as, as cash has came up into the ranks, as well as a, a young freshman, nearly leading the team in scoring, being one of the better players on the team. So that's, you know, a stories
1: to follow, both at UD and at Rice, for sure. No doubt about that. And I wanted to make mention of one other freshman, uh, and I'll get into maybe more reasoning why, but there's a freshman, Tristan Nichols from De La Salle, 6'3 forward, and, and and I I'm gonna just tease that for now, and I'll kind of dive back into it later with one of our top highlights you know to come uh, here in this opening segment. But the three Rice freshmen, and then Sonny Wilson, of course Sonny, older brother C.J. Wilson, very good basketball player at Orchard Lake St. Mary's, and Sonny Wilson can just kind of score at will, you know. And if you're drawing comparisons to being potentially the next Cassius Winston-like player. That's just unreal. So a lot of talented freshmen in the Catholic League this year. No doubt about that. Well, on to number two. We're
0: going to the hockey scene now, staying with UD Jesuit. They have a huge win over Brighton. So the, both of those teams, UD Jesuit ranked number four in Division Three according to the coaches' poll on January 13th, I believe, and then Brighton also, right or number four, I should say, I think I said three, that's number four in D3, and then Brighton is number four in D1 uh, in hockey, and that was a 5-1 win for UD Jesuit, and and keep in mind, this was a UD team that's had some trouble scoring, I mean, Mm -hmm. which... Uh, when you're playing in the MIHL, that that can bury you at times. I mean, they they've righted the ship a little bit and got some victories. They're about a 500 record right now, but they're really trying to you know dive back into it. And a win versus a team you struggle with in history. I mean, they beat them last year at Hazel Park. This was at Brighton, but a, a win you know where you, where you have in the back of your mind, oh, these guys beat us in the state playoffs you know a couple years in a row. They're they've won a couple of state championships in the last
1: three years. That's a huge win for the Cubs. U of D is trending in the right direction. There's no doubt about that. You mentioned they're a 500 team with the slow start, but once you find a way to pick it up and to go out to Brighton and not only just win the game, but win the game convincingly 5 to 1, that's a very, very good sign for a U of D team that, you know, they come into the year with high hopes. They start a little slow. You talk about the scoring struggles, but as you start to figure things out, you can look at a win like this and it's just visible proof that we're getting better, we're going to be a competitive team, and by the time that state tournament comes around, we are going to be able to make some noise in Division Three and maybe even make a run all the way to the state final. And Jake Gumbel, Max Marquette scoring
0: a couple of goals. They outshot Brighton 35-22, to 22 and they were up 4 nothing until Brighton scored just 23 seconds into the third period. But overall, a big victory for them. Yeah,
1: no doubt about that. Is we continue continue to move through the top highlights. We're going to go back to boys basketball, but we're going to look at the intersectional division. Riverview Gabriel Richard defeating Cardinal Mooney. Both of these teams moved into the intersectional one this season, and they're both doing very well. Riverview Gabriel Richard, especially nine and one overall in the season. 4 and 0 in league play. They just beat Bishop Foley 83-56 on Tuesday, January 21st. Cardinal Mooney having a solid season as well. They're 5 and 4, 2 and 2 in the league. Um and they just edged out Green Hills 50 to 49 on Tuesday the 21st as well. So, a good matchup between Richard and Cardinal Mooney. Teams that have seen each other before, but now both playing, you know, in the intersectional one. Richard getting the edge, but both of them Having success while playing a higher level of competition,
0: and you talked to both of those coaches. I was able to talk to Mike, Mike McAndrews before this season, and I got a chance to catch up with Chris Dyke yesterday. But they, you know, both kind of relishing the opportunity not only to move up in competitive competitiveness in the Catholic League and show that their program can do that, but I mean in terms of preparing yourself for the state playoffs, higher level competition is always good. And, you know, you see it for some of the teams. I think you look at football as an example. You look at some schools who've either moved up and down. And then the teams that have taken that jump, I think have, you know, taken that leap in competitiveness, even if they do fall in at five and four, if they get six wins when they could have maybe had, you know, eight, nine wins. Uh, if they were in a lower division, that ultimately helps you and Interested to see what that does for both of those programs.
1: 100%. Anytime you go up and you prepare yourself against greater competition, it's going to make you a better team, even if you don't have as much success in the win-loss column. So for both of these schools, they've proven that they can do it. They've had success within the intersectional two year in and year out. Both have been very good in recent years. And it was time. It was time for them to move up because that's the goal for your program. And I know both coaches have that desire of, this is about, it, it's something you have to do when you're coaching at the schools, especially the smaller schools, like the intersectional, you have to do things that separate your program from other schools. And for a school like Cardinal Mooney to show, Hey, we're moving up to the intersectional one. We know we're playing now the top talent of intersectional schools. Are you looking at going to Bishop Foley or somewhere else? Cause they play in a higher division. Well, here we are. We're right there to stay with them now. So that is the step, the direction you want to take and, uh, it's good to see for both of those schools having success. And that's a Gabe Richard Riverview team that's kind of been banged up at times this year. They haven't
0: really had their full lineup out there much in practice. So it, when Once they get fully healthy and rolling towards the state playoffs, uh, look out uh, for Chris Dyack's team and company. On to number four. The question from this one is, will Bishop Foley be challenged in that uh, intersectional one of girls' hoops? or five 5-0 after a win
1: against Avarice recently. Yeah, they uh, defeat Everest 50-26. to 26. The nice thing about Bishop Foley is they've got a good balance. They've got some size. They've got some guards. They've got some seniors. They've got some freshmen, all that contribute. And, and they just have a really good mix to that team. And typically it's the same girls that are leading the statistical categories. But they can have a, you know three or four or five girls be the leading scorer on any given night. You know, so it, it, they have a nice balance of, all right, we'll stop one. We got to worry about her. You stop her, you got to stop her. So they have that just uniqueness about them. They got through the Catholic League so far. No, not challenged, right? Everest didn't challenge them. Mooney has not challenged them. The one that's going to give them a challenge is Our Lady of the Lakes. Mm-hmm. And Foley already won on the road. So now they get him at home, and advantage should be Bishop Foley, I guess we'll have to see if that holds true because if you're Lakes, that's a big game. If you can go get revenge on the road, Foley went out there on a Tuesday night um, because that next day we had the athletic director, Brian Hassler, on the podcast and we talked about it. So we'll see if Lakes can go get some road revenge. Other than that, I'm not sure. That's a talented Bishop Foley team and, and I don't know. If anybody within their division is going to compete with them. Now, somewhere to our right, Ron Payneborn is smiling because
0: that is his alma mater. So, Bishop Foley, class of 73. Yes. If you did not know. Yes, sir. Melanie Moore is somebody to look out for. It. 12 points yes. per game, 10 rebounds a game. Kayla Moore also, eight points a game, 7.6 rebounds a game. That's just a couple and a team that's, you know, really good in terms of depth, as you kind of
1: alluded to. No doubt, and they've got a couple freshmen too. I know they have Abby, their point guard, Alyssa, one of their other guards as well, both of them going out, uh, and they can score in high volume, shoot the three, defend, so again, you talk about balance. They've got a real nice mix of it, Um, and you want to talk about, I guess, balance, depth, talent, being a great team. We can talk about Orchard Lake St. Mary's basketball as well, and they're led by their senior, Lauren Bowman. Committed to Wisconsin, and, and his performance versus the UFD Jesuit was unreal. It was a 10-point victory for the Eaglets. I think it was 36 points, 11 assists. 11 rebounds, eleven for rebounds. steals, 4
0: assists. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: And just, just a remarkable, remarkable talent. Now, Orchard Lake-St. Mary's did lose for the first time on Monday night as they lost to Flint Beecher by 9. They bounced back with a home win against De La Salle on Tuesday. But this is how I wanted to tie everything in together. I mentioned in the first highlight about Tristan Nichols, the freshman from De La and you, you talk Lauren Bowman, thirty six points versus U of D Jesuit. He's, you know, Bowman the showman. They run through him. Tristan Nichols went out yesterday and really contained Lauren Bowman to. He still got his. Lauren, I mean. When you're a Division One guard, you're going to go get your points. You're going to get yours. And Lauren put up 16 points last night, but I don't think all of them were while Tristan was guarding him, And that's now the second best player on a team that Tristan has gone out, the other being Cooper Craigs from Catholic Central, and completely shut him down. Just took their role and eliminated their role from being the premier player on the team. Now, St. Mary's, i got to give them a lot of credit. They've come back on a Tuesday night after losing to Beecher, a very intense, emotional game, a late game, a game I don't believe that tipped until after 8.30. Mm-hmm. They come back, first day back to school for those kids, a lot of excuses to be tired and gassed and, and out of rhythm and to lose that game. And and Salle played a very good game, gave him a very good fight, but, I mean, St. Mary's didn't miss a beat. They came out, they were pushing the floor, then they were slowing it down, and it was a great game back and forth where St. Mary's was able to edge it out, and really it was probably a a four-point game either way. LaSalle led for a a little bit. St. Mary's led for a little bit. It was tied at halftime, so it was really like a four-point game most of the way through. St. Mary's pulled away late to win by nine, but man, they're just so talented. Rosier. Kareem Rozier, Jason Drake, Julian Roper, Lauren Bowman, Peter Nwoke. Uh, and then they've got a couple guys off the bench as well that come in and give them some real valuable minutes. They don't go much deeper than seven players, but uh, those seven are very, very good. And something to kind of look out for and
0: things to watch as well. Double-A play is starting next week. That's something we'll, we'll kind of talk about and maybe talk a little bit more girls basketball and some other championships and some more hockey in our things to watch. But now would be a good time to click the pause button and subscribe. We're getting, you know, continual amount of subscribers and, you know, our larger and larger audience each week, so we appreciate everybody starting to find us and and tune in and certainly help us spread the news. We need your help on social media. Share it, uh, you know, on your team pages, on your personal pages, on your school pages because that's how this thing is going to grow. You can subscribe on Google Play, Spotify and iTunes. Search Inside CHSL on Google. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's the most important piece right now as well. At inside underscore CHSL. Again, that's at inside underscore CHSL. No doubt about that. We'll take all the support we can get. Well, our interview with the superintendent of Catholic schools, Kevin Guyaski, is coming up shortly. But first, we have some history for you. It's since 1926, with Steve Wedrock,
2: Steve. This moment in Catholic League history turns to volleyball and the 2009 Miss Volleyball Award winner, Birmingham Marians, Alexandra Cochran. During Cochran's senior season, she and fellow Miss Basketball finalists, Rachel Charles and Aaron Cooney led the Mustangs to the Catholic League playoffs. They earned a first round bye and squared off against Livonia Ladywood in the second round where they defeated the Blazers 25-16, 25-12, 25-14, to set up a championship matchup with Pontiac Notre Dame Prep. Marion defeated Notre Dame Prep 25-21, 25-19, 25-13 to win its second consecutive AB Catholic League title. The victory gave the Mustangs a 62-2 record going into the state playoffs. In the state semifinals, Marion defeated Farmington Hills Mercy 25-13, 25-22, 25-23 at Kellogg Arena in Battle Creek to advance to the state championship game. In that contest, Cochran recorded 25 kills and one block to lead the Marion attack. Aaron Cooney added 10 kills and one block and Rachel Charles recorded two aces and 12 digs. Marion defeated Portage Central 26-24, 20-25, 25-22, 25-20 to capture the 2009 Class A Volleyball State Championship. In the four games, Cochran recorded 29 kills Cooney added nine kills, one ace, and one block, and Rachel Charles chipped in with one ace and 18 digs. In 2009, Alexander Coughlin became the first Catholic League player to be named Miss Volleyball Michigan. Her teammate Rachel Charles finished second in the voting. Coughlin was also named to the All-Catholic, All-County, All-Region, and All-State teams, honors which she received during each of her four years at Marion. When she graduated, she held the state record for most kills in a season with 791 and most career kills with 2,095. After graduation, Cochran went on to play volleyball at the University of Akron, where she earned Academic All-Mac honorable mention during her sophomore and junior seasons. And that is your moment in Catholic League history since 1926. Well, now we're joined by our
1: special guest here on the podcast today. His name is Kevin Kieski. He's the superintendent of Catholic schools. And Kevin, thanks so much for taking some time to join us today here on Insight CHSL.
3: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, I want to talk about a variety of topics, and um, I think they all kind of transition into one another, but... The one I want to start with is I saw your piece that was in the Detroit News regarding the Blaine Amendments and the 37 uh, state constitutions that necessarily have these in place. And for those that are unfamiliar, could you talk to us just a little bit about what these amendments are and, and the effects that they have on our Catholic schools and, you know, if they were not in place, maybe how they could benefit our schools?
3: Sure, absolutely. So Blaine Amendments are found, as you noted, in 37 state constitutions. What these amendments prohibit is of government or public money or really services from assisting either Catholic schools, Jewish day schools, or really any type of independent private school. They actually started way back in the 1800s. Uh, because of James Blaine, who was actually very, no- very well noted uh, for being against Catholicism, he wanted to try to stop the Catholic school system in the United States from getting off the ground and growing. Now, granted, when you take a look at Blaine Amendments, uh, this is something that is terribly unfortunate that we've had these for a long time. And here in Michigan, they're really not terribly that old. It was uh, the 1970s, really, that they made their appearance here. Uh, But the Supreme Court today, they're actually going to be hearing uh, a case, uh, Espinoza v. Montana Department of Revenue, to try to fix all of that, hopefully, and deem these Blaine Amendments unconstitutional.
1: Well, that would be great. So talk about, you know, these Blaine Amendments, they prohibit essentially tax dollars that people pay uh, to, that go to support their local public schools. In theory, Mm -hmm. if this was non-existent, those tax dollars could then be designated to the independent private school of their choice or the public schools that they normally support. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So if the Blaine Amendments were not in existence here in Michigan, so let's just use Michigan as an example. This would allow the state legislature, along with the governor, to say, okay, let's put together a program that can actually assist these private schools, which includes Catholic schools. That could be, uh, frankly, a a voucher type of program, or it could be a tax credit type of program. And the tax credits, to be honest, is really the way to go. So we can say to businesses and to individuals, you owe the state of Michigan X number of dollars uh, for your income tax. Well, you can actually take a small portion of what you would have paid to the state of Michigan an income tax and actually give that to a separate organization that can actually help uh, uh, make Catholic schools and actually other private schools more affordable. And this is the most popular one that's really around. For example, before coming to Detroit, uh, one of my jobs was being an associate superintendent uh, in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Uh, And we actually had tax credit programs out there that really benefited Uh, the archdiocese and schools and more so the kids well. So if we get rid of Blaine Amendments, this frees up the legislature to create a program and whatever program that they create, it would be a while from now, uh, you know, about a year or two, but that can really move the needle and really Mm -hmm. help our kids and really help our students.
1: So in our current setting, the Blaine Amendments are still in place and Catholic schools do not receive any of those tax benefits or government financial support in any means, right? And, and the question then becomes, maybe in your vision or your eyes, how do we continue to, A, incentivize great teachers to stay in Catholic schools for, in theory, what's a lesser pay than they could receive you know, teaching at a public school? And then, B, how do we continue to incentivize or encourage parents to pay that tuition money Because there's a lot of parents that even if they went to Catholic high schools or Catholic grade schools themselves that are just saying, well, it's not necessarily in our budget and our financial plans to pay for Catholic education when we, well, we pay a lot of taxes to support the public school right here in our district. How do we continue to get these teachers to stay and these students to go to these schools?
3: You know, that's a very interesting challenge, and luckily that's something that we're currently addressing right now. Not to switch the topic, uh, but for your readers or more so your listeners, they could take a look at unleashing our Catholic schools, our new strategic vision, because we talk about those things. So, for example, if we take a look at our teachers, we note within our vision that they are really the individuals that are catechizing our kids Not just teaching them, but catechizing. And we see their role within the Catholic school, not necessarily as just them having a job, but them having a calling, a vocation, if you will. So we need to support them, not only when it comes to really recognizing and appreciating what they're able to bring to the table through professional development, but we need to actually pay them more over time. We have to be competitive. Because as many as our Catholic educators, they love our Catholic schools, they have to make sure that they're going to be able to provide for their families. So we're looking at a number of different ways in order to increase over time the compensation that our Catholic educators receive. So that we're not going to just have folks that are at the beginning of their educational career or folks that are at the end of their educational career a lot of times we're able to get folks that retire from public schools. We want to keep people consistently, and there are a number of different things we're doing with that. The second thing I would quickly note is that when we take a look at people, uh, parents paying for Catholic education, you're right. We have a lot of parents out there that went to Catholic schools, but Catholic schools, when we look across the nation, they're so expensive today. So one thing that we note about in the vision, and there's been a lot of work done on this about 18 months worth of work and there's still a little bit more to go Uh, but it's to have families pay what they can afford so we're looking at a small percentage of families uh, disposable income that would be used to actually uh, satisfy the tuition obligation at a school so instead of saying hey the cost uh, to attend uh, saint xyz catholic school is this amount We're going to say instead, you know what? If you need aid, tell us exactly how much you can afford to pay. And there's a process. And this will actually, by leaps and bounds, make our Catholic schools a lot more affordable and sustainable. So uh, for your listeners out there, take a look at the vision, but more so stay tuned because in the next several months during 2020, we're going to have some super exciting announcements to make.
1: Well, that's exciting. I look forward to hearing those. And you, you mentioned the unleashing our Catholic schools, that vision. And to my knowledge, there's four components to that. What exactly are the four components to that vision?
3: Sure. So the Archbishop essentially says that he wants to have our Catholic schools be, uh, number one, proudly Catholic, number two, academically excellent, number three, accessible to all, and four, sustainable for the future. And to sort of talk about them really quickly, you know, each one, Proudly Catholic is number one, because that's who we are. If we're not going to be proudly Catholic in our Catholic schools, we may as well not have Catholic schools. It's interesting when you look at our Catholic schools, if you attend one of our Catholic schools, any child, you're seven times more likely to practice your faith as an adult versus a, a child that went to a public or a charter school. So this is the reason that we exist, to pass on our faith. And the secondary but close reason why we exist is really because of the academic excellence that we have in our schools. For the most part, I don't care if we take a look at metropolitan Detroit or throughout the country, our students test at a higher rate than any of the charter or the public schools out there. It's absolutely amazing. So how do we continue that level of excellence and how do we get to the next level? Third, when it comes to being accessible to all, we have a lot of students and frankly, it's here even in metropolitan Detroit where we have new families, Latino families, uh, and they're really the future of the church. How do we bring them into our Catholic schools while all the while being a welcoming place? And fourth, sustainable for the future, what are some different ways to finance our schools like we were just talking about a moment ago? And at the same time, what are some different ways we can govern the schools? So instead of a, a parish elementary school uh, where you have the pastor as the only leader, how can he distribute and share his leadership with other lay people that have expertise in maybe finance, law, philanthropy, or other areas so that it's not going to be just really one person person? we can have an effective governance. So this is really the, the four dimensions, along with the very many programs that we have within each dimension, to move our Catholic schools toward being the best in the country.
1: No doubt about that. Well, it's a great vision. And as you mentioned, encourage people to go online, check that out, really read through it. It's inspiring stuff and definitely provides a lot of hope for the future of the Archdiocese of Detroit. I want to shift gears just a little bit here, kind of to wrap up our interview here today. Catholic Schools Week is upon us. And, yeah. you know, as we kind of stay on that topic of Catholic schools, um, what are some of the things that our students can look forward to during this week and just the overall significance of Catholic Schools Week?
3: Absolutely. So Catholic Schools Week is something that we celebrate across the nation. Uh, to really take a look at what our Catholic schools have done for society and what they continue to do to benefit uh, our local communities. So, for example, and this is contained in the vision, but just two quick snapshots. It's interesting. Our Catholic schools, we save the American taxpayer roughly about $24 billion every year. We also have great academics. We do all of these things super well but not very many people know about it. So that's one of the big reasons for Catholic Schools Week every year. Not to be uh, ostentatious, but to be proud about our true uh, identity and our heritage and what we bring to the table. Um, Catholic Schools Week here locally in Detroit, this gives an opportunity for each one of our roughly uh, 87 Catholic schools in the archdiocese to showcase what they do well, to engage with the community, to speak with the parents, and to really showcase their students. The the big event that we do every year is actually at the cathedral where Archbishop Alan Vigneron is able to celebrate Mass uh, with all of our Catholic schools. Uh, Not every Catholic school, because we have roughly almost 27,000 students, not every Catholic school student comes, but we have a, a representative group from every school that comes in. But the cool thing this year is not only will the Archbishop celebrate Mass uh, with representatives from every single Catholic school at the cathedral, but at the same time, at every local Catholic school, uh, if the priest personnel is available, like an associate or parochial vicar, they're going to be encouraged to celebrate Mass at the same time with the kids that remain at the school. So we're going to have thousands of children. And thousands of adults celebrating Mass together, thanking God for the gift of our Catholic schools, and that we're going to be able to continue our very important mission for years to come.
1: That's pretty remarkable. That's that's actually pretty remarkable to know that you say roughly 27,000 students will be attending Mass at about the same time. So pretty cool stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of souls that are going to be praying, and then we're going to be taking a look at roughly the 3,000 employees in our schools being part of this Mass uh, or series of Masses. And then just uh, the—you can't even count the number of parents uh, that will be part of this too. So we're all lifting up our voices in prayer to God, thanking Him for the gift of our Catholic schools, and thanking Him ahead of time, like Solanus Casey said, thanking God ahead of time for the good things that are going to be coming over the next several years through our
1: catholic schools it's truly remarkable stuff well Kevin, thank you so much for everything you do and uh, for taking some time out of your busy day to join us and talk about, you know, so many just great topics and issues and things to be aware of. And uh, I know myself personally, and I'm sure many of the listeners look forward to some of the further announcements you mentioned that will be coming here in 2020, just about the diocese, the vision in our schools, and most importantly, just helping our students. So thanks so much for your time today and thank you for everything that you do.
3: My pleasure. Thank you so much for the time and for your listeners, org. You can always go there to see the vision and also see what else that we're up to. So thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Well, that's Kevin Kieski, the superintendent of Catholic Schools here on Inside CHSL. You know, I, I think we kind of talked about it last week, Brendan, but you think about Catholic
0: Schools Week and you kind of think back to your grade school days and you know, how fun that was and everything around it. But it, it's cool to... You know, here, here you guys talk about you know all the Catholic students at one time being at mass and all the parents coming as well, and um, it, it certainly does bring him back a, a few memories. Isn't
1: it funny how your perspective changes though as you get older? Because when, when you're a student, especially in the grade schools, mm-hmm. you know, and you and I both grew up going to Catholic grade school and high, high school. Yeah. Um. Actually, both of us. Girl going to Catholic school the entire way I through, know, I right? believe, right? Yeah. Because we both went to Catholic colleges as well. Did we get so an award
0: for that or something?
1: <laughs> we are hashtag Catholic Educated. Okay. But uh no, you talk about Catholic schools week and as a student, that's an opportunity to maybe wear jeans to school or you have a, a pajama day or a crazy hair day or you know, just some things where it's like you have fun and you're just kind of embracing being in that environment. Um and it's something you look forward to. And now, as you're removed from it as a student, and for me as an employee in a school, Catholic school, um, but you look back and you hear about the things like everybody being at Mass, you know, 30,000 people, whether down at that cathedral or in their school community, will be all 30,000? Well, I don't know. Of course, there's going to be some kids that are out. There may be a couple schools that don't have, you know, their parishioner or whoever available to say Mass, but let's say by the time you add in the parents and stuff, you're talking 20,000 or more people across Catholic schools, you know, joined in spirit together saying mass. That's an incredible thing. Truly remarkable. So, you know, it's important that we take time to, you know, value these the students in our school, celebrate, you know, the fact that, you know, Catholic schools are alive and well and continue, you know, the great mission and the great work that, they have for years. So uh, it's due, and it's a great awareness. It's a great reminder to those on the outside that, yeah, there really is a value to Catholic schools, and it should be acknowledged, and it should, that awareness should be spread, no doubt.
0: All right, let's move on to our things to watch this week as well. We got some good stuff here as well as some big rematches coming mm-hmm. up in girls' basketball. First, you talk about Marion Mercy.
1: Yeah, Marion Mercy, the rematch. January 28th is when that's scheduled for. It's a Tuesday. Mercy winning the first matchup. Both of these two teams, though, very highly regarded. Mercy yet to lose. Marion's got a couple of tough games coming up, including a matchup with Detroit Edison. But, man, that Tuesday rematch, Marion-Mercy, two teams in the Catholic League that not only are they going to battle with each other in the league, but they could end up running into each other in the state tournament as well because they're both going to be destined to continue to play well and make a run throughout the league. And then into the state tournament.
0: And either way, you you bring up you know two pretty cool factors when you head into the Catholic League championship game, if in fact those two teams do match up, because you you think they're going to be one and two in the Catholic League, so they wouldn't meet uh, until the Catholic League final down at Callahan Hall. But is Mercy, you know, going into that game winning both in the regular season, or are they split? And you know, is it kind of the battle for? You know, what is the Catholic League and who's the quote-unquote better team? But it's almost like, yeah, mercy, you want to win the game, but then you're like, you got a huge target on your back heading into the
1: final, winning twice in the regular season. Always tough to beat a team three times. It really is. I mean, there's there's no joke about that. And and you could even run into a situation, I mean, it's, it's and not to bring up maybe a bad memory for you, but... <laughs> The De La Salle-U of D matchup a few years ago in the state tournament, De La Salle and U of D play three times during the mm-hmm. year. And two out of the three were really close games. The game at U of D, U of D won marginally. But U of D Jesuit won all three matchups. And then they met in the state quarterfinals, and it's a fourth matchup. Mm-hmm. For De La Salle, it's like, man, we've tried everything. What do we do? But for U of D, it's like, Okay, these guys have played us three times. They know everything about us. We know everything about them, but it's sometimes just tough. Like when you beat a team, it's tough to beat a team twice, let alone three times. Then you play a fourth. That's incredible. That's something that we could see end up happening with these two teams as the season goes on. But for now, big Tuesday night rematch coming up next week, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who's able to edge that one out. Yeah, real quick as well, Bishop Foley and Lakes, we kinda already talked about that
0: rematch. That's gonna happen um on the same day in terms of, you know, two rivals coming together. We saw Bishop Foley win that 15340. Uh, 40 that was back on January sixth, but another, you know, big matchup between those two schools.
1: Well, we talked about it earlier. Bishop Foley kind of standing alone in first place in the intersectional one. Lakes is gonna be that team that You know, could go out, give him a run, challenge him for the intersectional title. It'll be a big one at Bishop Foley.
0: Palm Championship next Thursday, January 30th, as well. That's going to be a divine child. The cheer championship will be. A week later, always something to watch, and there's been some parity in terms of who's won, you know, the last few finals for a while. There, you know, you look in the middle 2000s to the the late 2000s, and you you saw some you know, schools just kind of cruising through. Divine Child sticks up there as, as one school that's been really good, and um, now you you've gotten some, you know, back and forth. But uh, that's always kind of a cool event. Uh, a different event if you would never seen it, to go out and check out uh, at Divine Child on Thursday, January 30th.
1: I believe Lutheran North might have been one of those schools that was in the mix of winning some titles. And uh, I know it should be a great competition. And you mentioned, right, at Divine Child, January 30th. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Definitely go and check that out. Uh, Another thing to watch for is we now switch to boys' basketball. Double-A play starts next week, Mm -hmm. uh, and that should be a very competitive league with Lutheran North undefeated. Divine Child seems like they are going to have another strong campaign. Detroit Loyola, I've seen them play a couple of times. They played a really tough game. First Ham Tremick. went and saw them play as they were at Bishop Foley and Foley's Martin Luther King holiday classic that they put on. Um, so that's a very talented double-A division and one that, uh, yeah, I would say Loyola is still my favorite to come out of there, but it'll be tough. There's, there's some good schools. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's kind of,
0: you know I looked at it on Twitter, and we looked at it before the show here today, and it's almost like, wow, double-A play hasn't started, so it, it's kind of staggering in terms of teams, but yeah, you look at the Central Division, you look at some of the intersectionals, you look at the double-A Up and down, this is one of the more exciting times for Catholic League basketball, so certainly looking forward to following following that as well. Lastly, here are things to watch this week on episode 6 of Inside CHSL. Ryan Murphy from Brother Rice. It's a team that's 10-2-1. He made the mid-season dream team watch list, if you will. From an article on Michigan High School Hockey Hub, a a nice website if you've never been on it, for information around the Michigan High School hockey scene. But this is a guy who has 33 points, 15 goals, 18 assists, 3 game-winning goals at the time of our record. He'll probably have a few more by the time this comes out on Friday. But you look at his line and and some of the guys surrounding him as well. DJ Dixon, 28 points. Nick
1: Baroni, 24 points. This is a Brother rice team that's ultra, ultra dangerous. Well, and you talk about they played in the Catholic League championship. They had lost twice now to Catholic Central, but those are their only two losses on the season. Other than that, this is a team that's been rolling, that's been playing well. You talk about trending up. We mentioned it with U of D hockey earlier as well. You want to be playing your best hockey at the right time, and they are trending up. They seem to only be getting better. And When you got a guy like Ryan Murphy leading the way for you, you're going to be pretty darn good. But just top to bottom, a very talented team, a very motivated team, uh, and one that maybe earlier in the year was a little shell-shocked when they lost twice to CC, and maybe they had the expectation, that they did, I'm sure, have the expectation to win the Catholic League, but they did not. um, Look for this Brother Rice team to not only stick around but continue to get better with all the talent that they have and the way they seem to just be piecing everything together.
0: Another name to look out for in that uh, Dream Team list. He made it last year, but he went away to play USHL hockey for a while. If you're not familiar with the hockey scene, that's junior hockey. It's what USA Hockey plays in in Plymouth, both of those two teams. He was on that honorable mention or other player to watch outside of uh, uh, the ones they listed there, but he's only played a couple games in the high school hockey scene, but they value him so much and they think he's that good that you know, he could avoid the fact that he's only going to play half a season for Catholic Central and and still rise up. And that CC team has what could be an interesting matchup for UD Jesuit on Saturday as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, you, when you take a good team or maybe a great team and you add just another super high caliber player, it's like, all right, how do you match up against that? But that actually has a really. Uh, it makes an intriguing matchup, you mentioned, with UAD because of the way UAD's been playing. They're coming in, you know, they get that nice win over Brighton, but CC still appears to maybe be the team to beat in the Catholic League. And uh, I guess we'll be able to talk about that in our top highlights next week, won't we? Yeah, for sure. And just
0: just real quick, two of my classmates from UAD Jesuit who have, you know, unfortunately passed away too soon Chris Morgan and Joey Zielinski, they're going to be honored at that game at Hazel Park on Saturday so two really good guys two really good hockey players and people uh, in that program so certainly prayers for their families and you know what they've kind of dealing with you know around the holidays as as we kind of end that uh, and just everybody in those communities which you know there's too many stories, especially in the Catholic League. It seems like in the last five or six years of, of people passing away that you know are way, way, way too young. So prayers to their family and everybody, you know, involved in those kind of situations in the in the last few years.
1: No doubt about that. We're thinking about them, and it's a great thing that UAD is, you know, going to continue to honor them and, and continue to recognize, you know, their just their legacy and, and make sure that they are not forgotten within that community and. That's, again, it's one of those things that just makes our schools so special, you know, within the Catholic League of honoring that, remembering them, uh, and continuing it forward. Because I know it's hit the U of D community. I know it's at several communities in the Catholic League. And uh, it's a sad, sad thing. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, all we can do is is continue to pray for those families and be there for them and, you know, schools to continue to embrace them and welcome those families that's what it's all about. You talk about the family, the community, uh, the brotherhood, if you will, for some of the Central Division schools for life. That's truly what it's about.
0: Absolutely. We look forward to share more of those stories with you on Inside CHSL as this thing continues. And Brendan is putting his hand, the stop sign at me. What is he? What is he saying
1: here? One more thing. <laughs> Good luck to all of our volleyball players. Yeah. Catholic Schools Week this week. Yeah, a little SJ Chargers. Up. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so good luck to everybody taking on the, uh, usually the faculty and staff. Good luck to all of our eighth graders out there. So uh, always an exciting part. It was always an exciting part of Catholic Schools Week. You know, for me, well, was at St. Mary's, and obviously at St. Joan for Jeremy. Yeah. Maybe those are the only two schools that do it. I still don't know for certain, but any school that does it, Best of luck.
0: (laughs) Well, subscribe. Google Play, Spotify, iTunes. Search us on Google. You can find us by searching Inside CHSL. You can follow us on Twitter at... Inside underscore CHSL as well. Thanks to Mike Evoy, Vic Michaels, Ron Pingborn, Alex Westfall, Steve Wendrush, Every Wedrock, I can't speak today at the end of the podcast, but everybody involved with our, our great venture that we're involved with here in the Catholic High School League. We thank you, and we will see you next week.